0: Welcome to this week's Three Legs, Four Wheels, F1 podcast. It's Paul here with... Lee. And our special guest joining uh, us tonight...
1: There's Craig Scarborough.
0: Hey, Craig, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming back on. And um, apologies that it's a pretty short-handed show tonight, but um, flood's working and uh, Sean's a little bit under the weather, so get well soon. I'll be, I'll be taking her a cuppa at some point, no doubt.
1: How are we all? Uh, very good, and it's great to be back.
2: Yeah, good. Uh, no race, no race this weekend. So it's uh, at least it's a weekend break, considering what we've had to go. Well, you know, we've had week in, week out.
0: Yeah, I think a quadruple header would probably be a little bit too much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's surprising how intense it is, isn't it? I mean, throughout the year, we just haven't had that many weekends off. Um, and then before you know it we're going to be going testing again oh, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm 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 glad to uh, have had um, a break this weekend coming up
0: So you managed to get to uh, managed to get to many races this year Craig or have you been uh, working remotely just, just like
1: 2020 It's been it's been completely remote again this year unfortunately I mean I've not seen a Formula 1 car for so long now um, I'm beginning to wonder if uh, I'm in the wrong game <laughs> uh, but um, yeah but it's only in of the past two races that I could have got into the pit lane anyway so from my point of view there's been no point going to races you're better off covering them remotely um, as I say we've got testing coming up in February and races next year so hopefully I'll get out and see the cars in person uh, and up close uh, a lot more because it really kind of adds to uh, what I can do and what I can understand
2: You must be excited for what's coming next year and what the, like, the teams to innovate on and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, obviously, again, with it being such an intense year this year, it's taken quite a long time for me to actually really start to get my head around to the new regulations. And the more I reread them and the more I speak to people around the industry uh, about them, the more excited I'm getting. I mean, I think, we're, you know, um, while it's not therefore guaranteed to give us a great season next year, in terms of the car and the general direction of Formula One, I mean it's absolutely fantastic what they're doing, and um, if they keep, you know, that diligence up with the, you know, the future regulations, I think we're in really good shape at the moment.
0: Well, I mean, t- talking of regulations, the one, the ones that, as they are at the moment, um, that, that's been getting, <laughs> it's been getting a little stretched recently. Would you say?
1: yes it has isn't it in, in all through the year we've had sort of all this backbiting haven't we and uh, more than once i've had to go back and reread regulations myself to see can they really do that or uh, is that even possible and uh, yeah um more recently we've had suspension and wings really kind of dominating um some of the cheeky workarounds to those regulations and um I suppose there is that potential that it could decide the championship either in a good or a bad way um, you know, i don 't want anyone getting disqualified from um, past races or the future races, but um, I think there is some scope there for uh, things to get really quite nasty
0: yeah i mean the whole the whole rear wing situation between uh, between Mercedes and red bull um, i mean that's, that 's that's been the main talking point recently. How flexible is too flexible? How movement is too movement y? Is 80, 85 millimeters really 85mm? Um, and
1: what are the scorch marks? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, this you know, in the past week, I've written my first season review um and i sort of sat down and noted all of the kind of the technical issues that have cropped up through the year and of course they're all mercedes versus red bull red bull versus mercedes and you know all this flexing wing goes back to really quite early in the year when mercedes complained about red bulls overtly flexing rear wing red bull complained about mercedes over flexing front wing uh if i did something about one but not the other and then you know just kind of to and fro did lots of ways. And we saw the suspension uh, back in Turkey, wasn't it? That was again, this very non-linear behavior. Um, And now it's gone back to the rear wings again. Um, We had the DRS issue um, where Hamilton obviously had his qualifying time disqualified um, because it was 85.2 millimeters um, with a 10 Newton meter push through the rear wing. Um, That's quite interesting actually. Um, because in lots of respects, it's completely irrelevant to what has really been going on between these two teams um, in terms of their, you know, the backbiting and also in terms of what their design teams have been trying to do with the cars. Uh, and in some respects, you know, uh, Hamilton being disqualified was, you know, you're a jewel thief but you get arrested because you've got a stolen Mars bar in your back pocket and not packets of diamonds. Um, so that really is kind of, you know, just one of those weird things that sometimes happens. Um, the reason the wing was tested in the first place is because Red Bull had already gone to the FIA and to the scrutineers and Joe Bauer and said, we think the is doing something very unusual with their rear wing. We'd like it looked into or clarified for us, which is the way these things work about, And if you remember after rebels flexing rear wing, they changed the regulations on how they pull the flap at the back of the rear wing uh, down to see that it's not too flexible. So what Mercedes couldn't do if they were trying to do something clever with their rear wing, and I'm not saying they are or they're not, I'm being quite clear on that one. (laughs) I've seen some evidence and I've heard some more informed rumors than perhaps social media has provided us with. Um, But, you know, I can't say categorically one way or the other. What Red Bull believe is that uh, Mercedes aren't flexing the flap or the entire wing, but just that main plane, the biggest piece of the wing that sort of sits towards the front. And it's the trailing edge of that that creates what's known as the slot gap between these two pieces of wing. And that has to be between 10 and 15 millimetres. Now, if you play about with that size, uh, either opening it up or even closing it up, you can stall the rear wing, which just loses a whole heap of drag on the straights and therefore gives you more top speed. So you've probably all seen some of these videos that are going around and I don't really want to comment on it, but they do suggest where the problem is and the scorch marks, scratch marks, wherever it was, it was pronounced at the uh, press conference. What that was is where the trailing edge of the rear wing is moving it looks like it's been scratching the surface. Now, the pictures I've seen don't tally with what I know about the setup or what I believe to be the setup on the car. So I think it's race fans have had some pictures that have obviously been stolen by everybody. Um, but there is something going on at the back of the wing there as far as all the evidence is starting to stack up. Now, the FI introduced a new test. Now, they do test the back of the rear, uh, the main plane of the rear wing and they um, force it, uh, if I've got this direction right, they force it down with a force of just 20 kilograms, which you know, is a significant amount of weight if you'd imagine that's bottles of water, but in terms of a rear wing, it's a very small amount of force relative to what it actually sees when it's on track. Um, now they've added an extra test where they pull it backwards as well, which is I believe where the clever tricks are coming in. and. To be clear, Mercedes weren't running the wing that everyone was pointing the finger at back in Qatar. So the fact that they passed at the end of the Grand Prix, all of these tests, or whether it was in Park Furn, I'm not quite sure, is kind of irrelevant. If they bring that wing back, Red Bull are going to protest it, and it's all going to get really nasty really quickly. And if the wing does or doesn't fail the test, then you know, we've got debates either direction. Whether it's right that teams are constantly protesting, or whether it's right that teams are flexing wings to get an aerodynamic advantage, Um, I think overall, whatever comes out, I don't believe flexing wings is innovation or what should be included in Formula One. If you we want wings to start moving about, which is what they're suggesting to do for the 2026 regs, then let's do it properly. Let's not do it with these kind of subversive ways of flexing and moving uh, wings on rubber uh, mounts and springs and bits and pieces. Is that, I think that's all wrong. It has been since the mid-90s when teams first started playing about with this kind of area. So, yeah, I think it's right that it gets clamped down on. It's just a shame that it's kind of blighted the year and it could equally blight the uh, run into the uh, end of the championship this year as well.
0: Now, it's interesting you say about the... Um... About the tests on the um, on the main plane, I think it was the Red Bull wing that, when the DRS was open at full speed, there seemed to be a lot of flexing on the top plane when it was open on there. Yeah, that,
1: yeah. This, what they call fluttering is what we saw over the past couple of Grand Prix and is really kind of certainly ruined Verstappen's weekend in Qatar because he didn't couldn't run that wing in the race. He ended up running a higher downforce wing, and that certainly blighted his um, performance in the race. So what is that something slightly different to the flexing that we're talking about with Mercedes or with Red Bull earlier in the year, or indeed with the DRS gap that came up um, uh, in Brazil, wasn't it? What's happening with the Red Bull uh, rear wing is when DRS opens, you've got the airflow still trying to close that flap down. And the weight of that flap is trying to close that flap down while the hydraulics and the lever mechanism in the drs pod on the back wing is trying to pull it open now all of these are fighting each other almost like a set of springs trying to pull each other um apart and if you get anything upset in that equilibrium whether it be bumps or the fact that the hydraulics is pulling too hard or maybe not hard enough or there's um unwanted flexibility and i'm not talking about this kind of aerodynamic flexibility but you know simply mechanical movement in those linkages it just starts to flap because everything's fighting against each other and you get this kind of resonance set up. now the thing that you need to be clear about is that this isn't something red bull has designed it to do you know this is un- this is unwanted movement this flapping is actually bad for performance at best it does nothing At worst, it will increase drag when you really don't want drag at all because you've got DRS open. But um, the other question around this is, well, is their rear wing opening at more than 85 millimetres? And from what I can see, I don't believe it is. Um, And the work that they've been doing is to make sure that it doesn't inadvertently go over 85 millimetres and can't subsequently be tested at over 85 millimetres. But their solution during the weekend at La was to, unbolt that wing and put on a higher downforce wing that didn't have this resonance issue. So, you know, they may have cured it when we get to um, Saudi in a week's time, or it may, you know, uh, be there again. But it's just a, it's one of those aggravating things for Red Bull, and it's a little bit awkward because they're throwing around lots of accusations about winds of their rivals. <laughs> but I don't think there's anything sinister in what we were seeing on the uh, flapping rear wing the last couple of races.
2: It'd be, uh, it'd be pretty brave of Red Bull, wouldn't it, if they were, had some sort of trick of their own they were trying to do while accusing Mercedes of something?
1: Well, I mean, well, teams have done that in the past. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I don't think it's a good idea to cheat by having something that's visibly flapping at 200 miles an hour because it maybe it gives the game away.
0: Yeah, and obviously, giving the game away is probably the last thing that any team wants to do when they're trying to steal, uh, steal a march on the rivals.
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, at the moment, the game is very finely balanced as we go into these <laughs> final two races, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, you know, absolutely on a knife edge. Oh,
0: we've not had, we've not had a championship like this for ages where, um, where it's been that close coming up to the end of the season that we still, we still don't know who's going to win, mainly because Lewis Hamilton keeps winning championships in Mexico.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is, um, you know, rather dull for us fans. But um, it's I think it's not just that we're going to the last race, but it's also because it's between two very different teams, two very different drivers, um, lots of different circuits, brand-new circuits, modified circuits being thrown at us. And it's just uh, completely unpredictable, um, which is just making it absolutely know, so fascinating for everyone. And I think Formula One has been another, a bit of a a buzz over the past few years and uh, you, know, you can put it a bit down to this drive to survive sort of phenomenon. But um, certainly I think, you know, Formula One seems to be grabbing more headlines than it has done for uh, quite some time. And I think that's great for the sport and just shows that, you know, we are putting on um, a bit of a performance at the moment.
2: I think what makes this different with uh, Lewis and Max is because we, we've seen sort of tight championships before and championships that go down to the last race. But I can't remember watching a championship where the two title contenders in two different cars were together so much. You're know, like together next to each other on the grid. Sometimes even when they've had a bad qualifying they've been next to each other, then to have your two main championship rivals going out together pretty much every weekend and fighting for victories is great.
1: Yeah, I mean it's almost unheard of, you know. Often you would get a three way fight because one car maybe is better and you're getting both drivers but mm. Hamilton and Verstappen have been you know head and shoulders above everybody else um, all year and they've been <laughs> because they're head and shoulders they're neck and neck I can throw loads of metaphors mm. uh, at you on this one <laughs> um, and you know I mean I think the car packages are almost I mean you can't pick them apart and you know the teams have at different stages of development on the chassis on the power unit on their understanding of the tires and that's to and fro, but not by any great margin at any point in the year. And um, yeah, I think it will be sad in a couple of weeks that someone is going to be described as the loser. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to kind of fit with the, um, you know, the performance we've had all year because, you know, people are going to say who had the better car. And I don't think you can say there is a, a better car between them throughout the year. Um, if you look at it all on balance, they are literally are absolutely equal.
0: Yeah, because it, I mean, it, ha- it has seemed this year that, um, like we were talking about before we started, that circuits where you'd expect the Mercedes to be the, um, to be the dominant car hasn't been, and likewise yeah. with Red Bull. So, I mean, that, that just shows how absolutely close they are.
1: It's, uh, yeah, it's it's become very difficult to predict. I did um, one of these Twitter shout-outs, whatever they're called now, and um, was put on the spot with about six races to go. It's like, which ones are Red Bull tracks, which ones are Mercedes? And I've pretty much got it the opposite every time so far. <laughs> because, you know, when you think of a high-speed track, we were, had been thinking about it being Red Bull. When you were thinking about high-temperature track, you we think, well, that's much more into mercedes hands and it just hasn't shaken out that way and that's great because i've got no idea what's going to happen in saudi or in uh, yas marina um over the next two races so you know know, it's a classic case of anything could happen
2: that feels like one of those tweets you probably should have deleted and just never mentioned again
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes Yes, I'm sure someone will go back and record that. But you (laughs) said um, it has not happened so far. um, And uh, I'm I'm traditionally very bad at predicting anything in Formula 1 when it comes to performance and uh, results. Uh, But, um, yeah, I mean, I think this year, I think we can just uh, say that we've just had an absolute vintage year between these two drivers, these two cars, and uh, two team principals as well who've uh, entertained us endlessly. (laughs)
0: <laughs> they do make for good TV. I will, uh, I will definitely give them that. Dri- drive to Survive next year, it, it just needs a whole episode on um, the Toto and Horner argument. Actually, you could probably get I mean, a whole series know, be, out of
1: it. I was going to say there could be a whole series um, <laughs> on, um, you know, complain to survive, could be um, the way to do it, <laughs> something like that. And then just, you know, have you know, six hours of footage of each of them complaining about each other. <laughs> Um, But but meanwhile, the two drivers pat each other on the back uh, when they get out of the car after the Grand Prix and haven't really said a particularly bad word about each other all year, really, which is kind of nice because I think drivers traditionally are much worse at kind of doing all of that um, pre-match boxing kind of um, bad-mouthing each other. Um, And this year it's been a lot more respectful, which I've, I've really quite enjoyed.
0: Yeah, we're not getting the um, we're not getting the arguments in the media pen of um, of old. Of course, the uh, the classic, K. Mag and Hulk suck my balls.
1: That was <laughs> yeah. No, we don't want any more. We don't want any more of that.
0: <laughs> Definitely not. No. Um, right, we'll do our do our sort of look back on the last race with with a little bit of a difference. We'll um, we'll go sort of last to first, but. Um, Craig, if this is all right with you, we'll start talk about the about the um, about the cars and where they've been this year. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So um, we'll we'll start off with we'll start off with Haas um, Schumacher sixteenth and Mazepin eighteenth in a car that they said they weren't going to develop, and it looks like they've kept to the word. Would you say?
1: yeah absolutely kept to their word. I mean that car is barely changed from twenty twenty let alone uh, from the early season and um yeah, it 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 kind of goes against the grain for me that you know teams should be developing their car throughout the year, but you have to kind of tip your hat to them that they've had the um the, uh, the, the, the will to actually say, we're just not going to do anything. And, um, you know, that's, that's been really tough for the two rookie drivers. You know, the car has been awful. It's got a propensity to throw its rear end off the circuit. If anything happens going in on the way into a corner and it's made life very difficult. Um, obviously Mazapin uh, he had a, a really tough weekend this weekend at La Salle because, he went off, damaged his monocoque, and that was his good monocoque. And he's had to go back to his old one, which was the bad one that he said wasn't working so well for him. So, um, and then, you know, they're not going to build a new one at this stage of the year. So, yeah, it's been a really tough year. Um, you know, I think Nikita's had a, a really bad press from everybody. He's had a tough year with the car. Um, I, On the other hand, I don't think Mick has shone in the way that perhaps mm, some of us may have expected. You know, I mean, you could say that he is, you know, certainly uh, beaten uh, Mazabin hands down, but it's not been any level of domination. And there hasn't been those moments of, wow, incredible driving that I think some of us were maybe secretly willing him to have. Um, But yeah, you know, last weekend was a kind of a classic example, really, you know, it's just kind of whatever can go wrong goes wrong. And, you know, the best you end up with is 16th when there was a few retirements. It's, uh, you know, really disappointing. But fingers crossed for half, 2022, and, you know, this year, almost two years of um, development celibacy, (laughs) (laughs) if you can call it that. Um, uh, You know, they've abstained so much in the past two years. It's just hope it really does pay off for them in 2022 or else, um you know they're gonna must be looking at each other after a few races next year thinking what if we do <laughs> um I, I so think yeah Jean I thinking that. Yes. yes yeah i mean um again um hat tip to uh gene has for even competing into this season mm. um but if it doesn't go well at the start of next season then um yeah uh, I think he'll be phoning around the major car manufacturers in Germany to see if they want to pick up on um, an F1 operation that can be just bought. Or but, um, um, yeah. or, chem- well,
0: or chemical and fertiliser firms in Russia, maybe, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they're the ones that are kind of bankrolling it at the moment. But, uh, yes, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's been very difficult, and it's kind of hard to be too tough on them in terms of the performance they've had um, uh, last weekend or the past what 20 weekends that we've had with that car yeah
0: it's just been um everyone said at the start of the year that we're going to struggle and i'm being i'm being generous to schumacher and saying the jury's out let's let's see what he can do in um in a car that's even semi-competitive rather than just turning up to get the appearance money
1: yeah, or at least just a car that isn't trying to kill you every time you go towards a corner. Mm. Um, you know, that's just been so difficult for them. But, uh, yeah, let's let's wait and see. I've got, you know, I've got some cautious optimism. Harstad are the other one of those teams that are in the list of, they're going to do really well next year, um, along with the, the other nine teams that are also going to do next
2: year. <laughs> I mean, uh, Mazepin's development on his car has gone backwards again, hasn't it? Because he's back to using the the car which they uh, said was heavier in the first place.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, (laughs) these next two races are going to be probably quite horrible um, because I can't see them physically being able to repair that tub um, Mm. between now and the next race or the final race, nor would they probably want to put that money and effort in. It's Mm. just like, no, that one would just get turned into a show car uh, or uh, some kind of extravagant gaming uh, setup. And that would be the end of it.
0: Hmm. Now, I'm just wondering if I could get that in the spare room. In the new- no, 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 probably.
1: <clears throat> the
0: thing is, Sean wouldn't kill me for it. She'd, she'd be all for it. I can say this while she's not so in you, the room. Go,
1: go. <laughs> go and check the bins at Bambury and see, see what they're throwing out. <laughs> Uh, right, next up,
0: um, we have Williams, George Russell in 17th, and Latifi retired. Victims of the um, left, uh, left punctures. Both of them. Yes.
1: Um, you know, I mean, when Pirelli says that all of the quickest ways to run the race uh, are two-stoppers, and that you should be really careful with the mileage for fear of wearing these tyres out, what is a high... Tire, uh, high energy circuit, high tire attrition circuit, and then you go and try and do one stops or, or long stints. The um, <laughs> inevitable you, you happens, doesn't it? Uh, especially if you're pushing hard, you're using the curbs, you're going to get blowouts. And uh, Williams suffered with that. And um, you know, it's Williams seems to have kind of taken a dive, haven't they? In this kind of last third of the season, um, you know, they're not kind of shining as they were early season, mid season, and um, You kind of wonder where where the shine has kind of gone off that because, you know, I don't think the teams that they're fighting against are, you know, have picked up their pace or development curve at all. You know, they're on the same kind of decline as everybody in terms of they're not doing anything to the cars. So I thought Williams' lack of performance of the past few races is um, a little bit disturbing in some respects. It's like, why would that be happening? Why aren't they, you know, getting closer and closer to that midfield rather than starting to drift back away from it?
0: I mean, could could it be that the pretty much guaranteed eighth place in the constructors, and the two teams below don't have a hope in hell of catching them? So just concentrate fully on next year's car now, and this year's car's done it done its work, and effectively it's on its farewell tour.
1: Yeah, I see your point, but what what you what you have is all the work on next year's car is being done by the design office and the aero team. And they don't get, they haven't been involved in this year's car for Williams since their big update, which was, ooh, Baku time, I think was the last time we saw big updates, might have been something in Russia, I can't quite remember now. Um, The people that have been running the car all year and continue to run it are the race engineering team. And while they will have influence and be looking at, you know, the sim and everything for next year, their attention really isn't dragged into 2022 yet until the season's really over. Their job is to get most out of this car. And once they kind of got to that fairly comfortable position mid-season that they were clearly eighth, then why not? You know, I think they were making noises, weren't they? About well, now we've got that done. We've got podium. We've got eighth secure. We can go and take some risks. And you're not seeing that. If anything, they're kind of going backwards and playing it safe and not making those those kind of moves. So, yeah, it is a, it's a bit confusing that you know that they aren't able to drag a bit more performance out there and kind of hassle the teams in front and try and grab some headlines by doing something, you know, quite aggressive. And I don't think running super long stints in a two-stop race um, uh, is the right sort of aggressive. So, yeah, you know, um, I, 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 I really would like to be a fly on the wall at Williams and understand what's happening there at the moment.
0: I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's a confusing time at Williams anyway because, I mean, it's, it's the first full year of the Doralton ownership. Mm-hmm. And they're still sort of dealing with the le- with the legacy of what is ninety ninety five percent of last year's car, which um, was a was a brick, effectively, with no uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> which you know they, they weren't able to um, they weren't able to develop because they didn't they didn't have you know the the funds or probably the staff at most of the points, and. You know, maybe maybe the um, the run out of lipstick to put on the pig now, and you know they're just, just sort of given up on this year because they've done better than was expected.
1: Yeah, uh, again, it's you know it, that's you know it, it's split between design and operation of the car, and um, yeah, I mean I wasn't expecting Williams to have any bits to the car, and they certainly did improve the car quite surprisingly a large amount over the winter just by sorting the aero out and getting a bit more downforce on the car. I know the car's a lot more sensitive and I think that's why we have seen so much, um, qualifying highlights, but maybe less so in the race. Um, because obviously in the race, they're certainly in amongst the midfield, um, and I don't think the car works when it's surrounded by lots of cars. Certainly, first laps for Williams are generally very poor. Again, that's when the traffic and the turbulence is at its worst. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, again, I think Williams could have, with strategy and some engineering, got more out of the car, or at least maintained the gap to the, the rest of the midfield. But um, I, think I sort of keep going back to: it. I think they're kind of slipping away from it rather than getting closer.
0: I guess we'll we'll see how this all pans out and we keep saying this again, next year, <laughs> new cars, new regs, new, well, partially new Drive, lineup Driver for Williams. Yeah.
2: Album, uh, yeah,
1: that's yeah, going to be interesting and uh, equally it will be the first year that the technical team have really kind of bedded in so, you know, uh, FX de Maison uh, with uh, Salvas, um, really kind of getting into grips with the team. And I think the other sort of, you know, the know, key thing there is that, you know, I mean, we've spoken about this many, many times over the years when we've spoken about Williams is it's a team that really needs to kind of modernize and get its act together. And it's a team that's changing rapidly. And it'll be interesting to see how much of that has matured ready for next year. You know, how much has been going on back at the factory at Grove um, in terms of, you know, getting these departments sorted out, getting the processes and procedures and the ways that they they work and set targets all sorted out. You know, I think that's, you know, it's almost as big a challenge for Williams to get that done for next year as adapting, you know, for these regulations. So, you know, they've got a lot, a lot to get done. But um, I think this year has given us a little optimism that they may be starting down that path, even if it has fizzled out a little bit as we've gone through the year.
0: Mm.
2: Um, I think it's good for them uh, getting Albin on board too because it it must have been, a, unless these deals were all sort of done like well in advance to what, what we heard, it must have been a little bit of a knock to the team losing Russell because they, they, you kind of knew he was going to go somewhere else. But with him being able to get these results out of a car which probably shouldn't be getting them, um, if Williams would have gone then back to having... Yeah, another driver that was maybe past the sell-by day or another pay driver in, it would have felt like another step backwards. But Albon feels like you know someone that deserves to be on the grid and that's got to prove yeah. himself. So I, I think he'll be going just as hard as George Russell was to prove himself as well.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely, a good point. Well made. I, I completely agree. It's good to see Albon back um, and hopefully in a car that's, you know, a bit easier to handle than the, uh, the Red Bull was um, during his <laughs> limited tenure there.
0: <laughs> but we all know that second Red Bull is impossible to drive.
1: <laughs>
0: Allegedly. Well,
1: yeah, <laughs> on most weekends at least.
0: <laughs> <coughs> Pardon me. Right, next up we have Alfa Romeo. Talking of, um, talking of teams that will be fielding new drivers next year, completely changed lineup now that uh, guan zhou has yeah, no. been um, been announced as replacing Giovanazzi, um i mean th- this has, that's come about because ferrari um don't have to nominate you know don't have control of one of the seats anymore and guan zhou has mm. got a hell of a lot of backing and the mm. sou- the cyber operation have always been um how, do you, how 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 best to put it um grateful for any funding that's brought in how about that mm. <laughs>
1: very very nice way of putting it yeah <laughs> <Hashtag> <laughs> is um is maybe the more more english term but yes i completely agree with you yeah no they, they've always struggled for funding even within this budget cap it's always been an issue for the the team based out of Hinville there the you know, effectively the south team so uh yeah i mean i think the driver lineup is is going to be interesting uh i don't know uh much about uh uh, going, um, you know, I, I, I've spoken to lots of uh, Chinese journalists in the past and they never kind of rated him as the, the ideal guy to go ahead. And obviously the NU in that second seat, you have uh, a guy that's uh, been a little bit reborn in recent months, but um, you know, he's going from, you know, one of the best cars on the grid uh, if not for the past few years, certainly the best car in, in previous years uh, to what's going to be quite a challenge. Um, and, you know, Alfa Romeo haven't really shown themselves to have a great car this year. They didn't do a lot to it, in fairness. I uh, haven't done a lot to it through the year either. And uh, I think it really has just been down to some kind of fantastic bouts of driving at the right moment for um, both the drivers at different points in this year, actually, in fairness. Gio actually has had some great, great sort of moments on track, and so has Kimi, which has always been quite fun to watch. But, um, yeah, um, you know, you can kind of... Bag Alpha Mayo up as, again, another one of those teams that may be really focused on 2022. Therefore, they're going to have a great 2022, um, which is, you know, the cliche that we're all going to be pulling out. I'm, I'm I'm maybe less optimistic that they have got the potential to really pull something spectacular out. And I think, rather sadly, that they may be a bit further towards the back of the grid next year as they are this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a... It's been a bit of a non-year for him, um, the, the way that I've seen, because, like you said, the, the car doesn't seem to have come on a great deal. And no. I think that you know both, both drivers have been struggling with it at various points of the season. And again, I mean, Lee, you've never been Joe Benazzi's biggest fan, have you? Let's be honest. Uh, he's just... He, he, he never seems to me
2: like he really fitted. He, he seems like a driver that maybe should have drifted in and out of Formula 1 quite quickly. He seems to if he feels like he's outstayed his welcome.
0: <laughs> I mean this is okay. the this is um, the end of his third <laughs> third season with the team? Second set. You see this this is this is how much he sort of shows up on the radar. This is mm. this is why for every race we have the Antonio Giovanazzi Participation Award for drivers that were apparently there. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you could say that about the entire Alfa Romeo team, unfortunately, over the past few years. You know, they, they're, they're a little bit like Williams. They did work over the winter, uh, again, with a new um, technical head, Yaman Show, who came from Toyota in their WEC team. So, um, and previously in, in Formula One as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can see how they made improvements and you can see that there's the potential in the background for them to improve. Uh, I think the fact that they were trying to sell out to Penske through the year, maybe suggests that things aren't as great there as, um, you know, maybe we'd love to believe. So I, you know, I I think they've had a a real, maybe a better year than I predicted. And I think at least part of that is the improved Ferrari power unit. Um, a little bit from the improved aero that they had, but not by a huge amount. So, yeah, you know, this year they really have been quite anonymous, and, um, you know, it's quite easy to kind of forget them when you, you run through the list of teams that are participating. And, um, you know, the fact that they are ahead of um, Haas, you know, it's not a lot to shout about, really, is it? Not really.
0: No, no, not thought. Not I mean, going back to when we first started doing this in 2015, we used to call them anonymous Sauber every week.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think some of their, um, in terms of positional um, results, uh, was actually obtained by Gibitsu, um, wasn't it? I think he, yeah. he end, ended up having more results than um, uh, have had, which is rather peculiar in a year like this year <laughs> with the pandemic and uh, Kimi being off. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a year to forget um, for the back end of the grid this year. I think all these three teams really just want to kind of write it off uh, and, and look forward to next year. But, you know, you, you you do have to wonder how much they can truly jump Um from their position where they're at at the moment. You know, they've got a lot to do with some teams that are really on top of their game in terms of understanding the cars, understanding how to develop quickly. So I think even if any of these three teams came up with something really cool uh, and found some performance, I think it would very soon be eradicated by the, the top teams, either copying them or just out developing them in their own areas.
0: I mean, that, that's, that's the thing with F1 development. It is so hard to stay ahead of the game um, consistently, because you know you, you will always get caught up. Um, maybe the budget cap's going to even this out because it just it used to be a case of a team comes up with something completely innovative, and usually Ferrari, but one of the other bigger teams throws an absolute ton of money into um, doing doing something even better because it was something that they maybe hadn't thought of before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that is that's very much the case. You know, the uh, big three. Four teams uh, could quite quickly, even with the the budget cap and the uh, and wind tunnel CFD restrictions, you know, catch up in a really short space of time uh, if something really clever does kind of crop up. So, um, yeah, you know, it, may, it does kind of sound quite depressing to say it out loud. But um, you know, that is Formula One. That's where we're at, and um, this kind of leveling agenda that Formula One is uh, pursuing at the moment is going to take a few years to really kind of cut in when you do get those big teams you know really not wanting to um you know put loads of new parts on the car because they all go into the budget um cap and uh I think you know equally maybe for some of these bottom three teams this year you know they don't want to be put in certainly if any of them had a big crash at Saudi they wouldn't want to be uh, making lots of new parts to go to Abu Dhabi and I think we could find some cars in um, Abu Dhabi with uh, <laughs> a, a really odd mix of parts on their cars, um, of bits that really shouldn't be on there because they're, you know, an older design uh, or higher mileage. It's uh, a slightly odd uh, situation. I think we find ourselves in as we come to the, year, for the first year that we've had this uh, budget gap. Yeah, you'd
0: be able to tell who's struggling if anyone turns up on the grid in Abu Dhabi with a Monza front wing and a Monaco rear wing.
1: Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, or maybe last year's um, painted bodywork I don't know. I don't know know if that's even legal, but uh, yeah. I mean, I think Williams could bring last year's wing, perceivably uh, quite easily. So it's (laughs) like we'll sticker it later. It doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) Uh, Right, AlphaTauri next. Uh, Sonoda in thirteenth, and Gasly in eleventh. Gasly was running well, but then had the puncture. AlphaTauri have come on in leaps and bounds this year with that car.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we saw a little bit the last year that they're, they're, they're going much more into a half style listed parts approach where they're getting more and more from Red Bull technology, the, you know, the overarching company between both the teams. Um, and it, it's strange, isn't it? Because what they did this year is they kept very much most of their front suspension, but changed the steering rack, which is Red Bull's very clever forward, sorry, no, rearward mounted um, steering rack. Um, It gives you lots of very clever ways of playing with Ackerman and stuff like that. But they also took the 2020 Red Bull rear suspension. And that was the one thing that made the Red Bull really hard to drive last year. um, And was what Red Bull spent their tokens on. But AlphaTauri seemed to have taken on this rear suspension. And that car really works with it. You know, you certainly couldn't call the AlphaTauri a difficult car to drive because it just seems to be able to find lap times quite easily. Um, but I think the conundrum that we've seen with Alpha Tauri this year is that there seems to have been huge amounts of potential there with, you know, Gasly's clearly driving. You know, you must rate him as one of the best drivers on the grid at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tsunoda, um, you know, certainly got some time out of the car earlier this year. I think he's had to sort of calm it down and maybe that curve of his is coming back up. But somehow Alpha Tauri as a team, as a, as a race operation, just can't get a weekend together, can they? You know, if you see them, there, they look good in qualifying, then they have a dreadful race. If they, you know, have a a bad qualifying, then they tend to have a good race. And, you know, sometimes little bits of each other and they seem to gather lots of penalties and lots of reliability problems. And they just never seem to get everything hooked up all over one weekend. And Qatar is a classic example, wasn't it? Gasly, you know, was on fire and he came off the back of Brazil as best of the rest. And where was he in the race? <laughs> it's like, where did he go? He, he, he was just uh, kind of just drifted back.
2: He was sort of lamenting the uh, pace of the car, wasn't he? In the, in the pit afterwards, yeah. I
1: think. Yeah, it's mm. just, you know. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is a little bit like the, you know, the Williams race engineer operation. At what point does somebody at uh, Alpha Towery go, do you know what? We could be doing so much better if we got our act together. Now, whose job is it to get our act together? Let's get either get them organized, kick them out and get someone in that can do it, but you don't get that sensation that there's anyone's heads on the line here at Alpha Tower, and they really are underperforming with what their potential could be. And, uh, I just find that really weird. And, you know, it's been the case all year long, really, I mean, after the first few races. When we saw that that car did have a bit of pace in itself. Um, but, you know, yeah, is, yeah, but is Hel- it Hel- Hel- it's the problem with someone else.
0: But Helmut Marco only fires drivers.
1: <laughs> well, but yeah, again, you know, Helmut Marco only hires drivers, but uh, I'm pretty sure Tita Mesvich is paying for results. Um, and, you know, surely he's got to start banging on the desk and going, why the hell aren't these people, you know, fighting with Ferrari and McLaren in the championship because they're not, you know, they're nowhere near it. They're, you know, they're in with Alpine at the moment. And, um, you know, why aren't these results coming? Why are we always on the back foot, at least through one part of the weekend? And, uh, you know, it really should be a case that head should roll and get some other people into those jobs because whatever they're doing at the moment isn't working. Do you think they're missing James Key? Um, that's an interesting point. I don't, I would say I don't think so because I think inherently the cars are very good. The design of the car is really, you know, it's got performance in it. And I think that's something James Key's very, was very good at bringing a very consistent performance. And I think in terms of, you know, if you take their the, the peaks, you know, they are consistently potentially very fast. I think what they're missing is something more in the, uh, the sport, sporting management um race operation that you know why are we always on the wrong track and we get a bad qualifier why are we always having unreliability problems why are we always getting penalties um you know that's that's not it's partly down to the technical director but I don't think James Key would necessarily be able to fix all the problems that they had if he could come back um, I think i 'm um, not quite sure that, 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 what the the management are at uh, alpha tour it 's not my my strong point but um yeah i mean I think it, you know the sporting manager or Franz Dost or something needs to needs to get sorted there um or else they really are just kind of throwing money away and letting other teams you know get the um, get the the t v time uh, when it should be their uh, their t shirts getting the uh, the air time. Mm-hmm.
2: It is strange, isn't it? I've I've always thought this with uh, uh, Toro Rosso and now AlphaTauri. When you look at where Red Bull are, you just think to yourself, "Well, why aren't uh, them just behind Red Bull?" You know, I know there's only so much they can legally swap between teams, but I mean, let's be honest. There's obviously information that goes back and forwards from those teams that might, maybe, shouldn't do. But yeah, I just I just don't understand it
1: yeah you know and you would have thought red Bull would want to do something, but um we will uh, we'll see um but you know going into next year they'll probably take all of the twenty twenty two listed parts from red bull um will be very much a, a kind of a um a red house um set up there um which again you know bows really well they should have a really strong year in twenty twenty two um uh and you know i mean i don't think the that the honda engine is going to slip uh it have its crown slip in 2022 either so um you know there's every reason that they should be hassling um ferrari and mclaren at the very least um and if not you know maybe being in front of them but for whatever it is you know it's not happening
0: mm. we'll move on to uh, what's we'll move on to mclaren next um danny Rick was 12th and Lando was ninth. A um, lot of questions before the race about have McLaren been bought by uh, Audi, which, as it turned out, yeah. no.
1: There was some, there was some very careful wording in some of those announcements, wasn't there? Yes, <laughs> there was a lot more. There was a lot more that wasn't said um, than, than was said. Um, I think there is still potential there. You know, McLaren being a effectively customer team to Mercedes engine can't be a strong position for them. Um, looking forwards, if you look at all of the, you know, the people that McLaren have put in there under Adrian, Andrea um, yeah, there's, there is a Germanic flavor going on there. It wouldn't surprise me if there is possibly a kind of a low key partnership to kick things off. Um, and much like Audi did in Formula E, with the, uh, was it the attitude? Wasn't it? It was named there. Yeah. So yeah. So I think, I think something could happen there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's still a little way off, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if we did hear something, um, bubbling up over the next few years as we get towards those next, uh, engine regulations in a couple of years time. Um, so keep an eye on that. But McLaren really had blossomed this year. I mean, it's been, you know, after all these years, we were kind of talking through the the, the, the early Honda years and saying how terrible it is that McLaren are on the back row and are just nowhere to being uh, in a position where they've won a race um, in pretty fair conditions, I think. You know, maybe a little bit fortuitous, but, you know, you know that, that, that's what you need sometimes a little bit. Um, but really they, you know, certainly for the first two thirds of the year, they have been the best of the rest. Um, and you know, despite Ricardo taking his time to kind of get to know the car, I think he's kind of a lot more on top of it now in the past handful of races than he had been early this year. I think that's cost them in the constructors' championship, sadly. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, it bodes so well for them that they just seem to be really on top of every aspect of their game, and they just need a kind of a little bit in every area to make that big step to being, you know, regular podium finishers and giving Mercedes and Red Bull um, some hassle.
0: Definitely, I mean, I mean, the thing that's surprised me the most this season is McLaren, with two races left, are still the only team to have a one-two.
1: Yeah, strange, isn't it? How does it? That- <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? But um yeah. Um but then again I suppose when you look at the what we were saying earlier that it's been very much a, a Max versus Lewis championship, uh, very much an A driver versus wingman driver, um, probably explains why that's been the case. Um and it was very much a weekend where um, the A drivers looked after themselves, and the B drivers just weren't really in the running. So, yeah, you know, fair play to McLaren, and they'd had a few good weekends. Um, but certainly, I think you know, since then, sadly for McLaren at least, is Ferrari have kind of come on and are kind of racking the points up a little bit at the moment. You know, even if maybe I think they did underperform a little bit in um, in Qatar.
0: Yeah, just um, just looking at it since McLaren got the one-two, um, yeah, they've been kind of anonymous, anonymously mid to low points, and they've only had one double points finish since then. Well, Where, mm. yeah, whereas Ferrari have only missed out on the points with one car in one race.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um I'm having to look I'm having to the, look this
0: up. If we if we had virtual Statman on call, they'd have been able to sort of spin that off within seconds.
1: <laughs> I think somebody, I know there's a there is a stat that they've got about forty more points than we found in the last um f- batch of races or something like that. I can never remember figures like that. But uh yeah, Ferrari certainly have been at the top of their game with kind of Gasly, you know, uh, getting in and amongst them a little bit. Uh and Alonso uh, last weekend. <laughs> um but, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's strange. Um, you know, I know Los Al was a difficult weekend for them. You know, they, they did have better pace in qualifying, but uh, Danny Rick had his fuel um, meter problems um, that kind of scuppered his race. And, uh, again, there was the uh, tire issues for, for Norris as well. So, you know, they kind of lost out. Um, what could potentially have be been a much better weekend for them, but uh, you know, I think the uh, the runner form is certainly against them when you compare them to Ferrari at the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, McLaren seem to be one of those teams that have binary weeks. <clears throat> you know, what one driver does well, the other has a mare. I mean, it's it's mainly been it's mainly been Lando having the good week and Danny having the bad mm-hmm. one. But there's been been very there's been more weeks than not, where it's just been all one driver.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the case, and they also seem to really struggle to get up to speed over Friday. And quite often, when I look at the times at the end of a session on a Friday, and you think, right, where are the McLarens? Where, where, where are they going down, down, down? Oh God, they're down there, you know, kind of banging around the sort of the you know, just above the um, uh, top ten or the uh, just under the top ten, and you think, hmm. We thought they'd do obviously they, they bounce back much better through FP3 and Quali, and obviously, therefore, the race. But, um, yeah, you know, um, it's um, it's a shame because I think you know, certainly from when you look on balance, you thought for uh, McLaren could have you know kept P3 this year for the second year running, which would have been you know, um, yeah, fantastic for them, um, but it's now looking maybe less likely that they'll get do that and uh, Ferrari will kind of get their bounce back after their bad year last year.
2: Yeah, it is a shame because like I like said before, I think if riccardo could have got on board a little bit quicker, they'd have probably already cemented enough points to have kept that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think certainly, yeah, because we tend to look to the constructors when you're talking about the team, aren't we? So. Mm. You know, uh, Danny did really struggle uh, just getting to understand how this car rotated through corners uh, and how he could get his driving style to work with it. But um, and I still think, you know, he's a little bit up and down, depending on the circuit and the tyres. But, um, you know, he he's, 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 has improved. And from what he's been saying is that he is gelling very well with the 2022 car at the moment. In the simulator. So, again, you know that, that that gives us some hope that there will be a, you know, properly competitive two-car team throughout 22 with them.
0: After 2022, cars good in the sim. I'm going to, have to get on R Factor 2 when they release it for that. <laughs> 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 Apparently, R Factor 2 is um, based on the software that a lot of teams use for their sims. So, I I, I know nothing. Yeah. About. I know nothing. I'm cra- I'm yeah. cra- I'm crap at sim racing. Doesn't stop me. Do- yes. Doesn't stop me doing it, but I'm not any good at it.
1: Nope. Yeah. No. Yeah. Know your limitations.
0: Yeah. And there's probably about fi- <laughs> there's probably about fifteen twenty people that are all in uh, all in three legs, four wheels. I racing league going. Yeah. Nice of you to finally admit it. <laughs> uh let's see. Where are we going to be next? Well, do, uh, we'll do Aston Martin next. Um, That'll in tenth and. Lance Stroll in sixth after one of his usual oh my god he's not really good at qualifying performances
1: yeah it's a bit of a, I mean it's kind of classic Aston Martin um, the racing point force India dot 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 weekends where yeah they just got the strategy right didn't they um, Stroll really had a, a strong result um, and uh, he's got his new race engineer Ben Michelle and um, and that seems to be working really well. I mean, you know, the driver's relationship with their race, the race engineer is, you know, a real key part of their performance, and um, that seems to seems to be, you know, kind of coming on for him quite nicely. And throughout the year, you know, Strong puts in some really good performances. You know, he is quite inconsistent, but you know, he does have highs. I mean, he's not someone that is, you know, is just, you know, always at the same level. Sometimes he flies. Sometimes he doesn't appear to. Uh, equally with Apple. Um, very strong in his races this year um, and uh, seems to work very well with the, uh, you know, with the Aston Martin uh, way of doing things in terms of being really clever with strategy and tire management. And uh, I think that's, that's really kind of rejuvenated Vettel this year because I think we was all a bit worried about him over the past few years. weren't we thinking that he had kind of burnt out and lost his love for Formula One. And this year he's kind of come back. Um, with a skip in his step, with some pace um, and taken up a position as kind of the oldest statesman of Formula One. And, um, you know, I think that's been really nice and glad that all of our sort of negativity about him has been kind of reversed over the past few years. Meanwhile, Aston Martin, you know, they've had a really difficult year. Um, they, you know, had their, their weird year with Copygate last year. They've had to kind of adapt a car that they didn't really understand uh, last year, into a new car, um, which must have been a far bigger task for Aston Martin than anyone else. Plus, the regulations, if we believe them, uh, were worded against the uh, low rake, long wheelbase cars. I'm still a little bit jury out on that one, but certainly, yeah, performance was hurt over the winter. And they seem to kind of well, seem to be happy to get to a certain level of performance, and then they just cut off this year, didn't they, in terms of development? And uh, they're building that new factory, which I drove around the back of yesterday. Uh, uh, it's looking absolutely amazing. You've got all that money flowing in. You've got the budget cap. Um, uh, things are looking really strong for them, even if the balance of this year, you know, maybe hasn't been as great as they would have liked it to be. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm really optimistic, probably more so than most of the other teams that, you know, are all optimistic in themselves. <laughs> I think Aston Martin are the team that we all. Policy maker step next year from this year's performance, and maybe that just means that they end up back where they have been, which is kind of fourth, fifth in the championship. Maybe up to third if they have a really strong year. But um, I think we should see them back to their old kind of fourth India days um, in 2022, and I think that's really where where they deserve to be.
0: Yeah, I mean when when, when Stroll came in, you know, he said um, he wants he wants to be winning races and championships. And everyone, you know, everyone laughed at him and was like, "Yeah, right. Okay, how much? How much are you going to throw into this team?" He does appear to be putting um, putting the money behind it and using it as a hobby. Not using it as a hobby, I should say.
1: Well, I suppose the good thing is that we know that they have to find you know, at least 140 million a year in US dollars, um, because that's the budget cap. And then, obviously, you know there's ways that they play about with the uh, capital investment into the factory and all the facilities there. So I'm not quite sure how that all works out. But yeah, you know, Strong uh, senior, I listened to the um, uh, Formula One podcast where he was talking and um, you can see that he's treating this as his kind of big gig at the moment. There. And he's, you know, he's finding the money from somewhere, whether it's his pocket or other people's, I don't know. But um, yeah, he seems to be, He's got his head screwed on how he's approaching this. He's no easy he can't simply can't throw money at it and uh you know even today, the announcement of uh you know more important people being hired into the team to uh, run it going forward, so they seem to be hiring you know some fairly clever signings. It's not just big no big names, big headline names. Um, the, the people that are actually been doing the work behind the scenes at the other team. So, you know, kind of the unsung heroes, but the ones that really get the work done. So, yeah, I mean, as I say, it really does look like there is a bit of strategy going on there. And it's quite unusual in Formula One for someone to have lots of money and a good approach to where that money goes. So, you know, fingers crossed for the team because um, yeah, it, it should be good for them.
0: Yeah, we'll get we'll get onto Ferrari shortly, talking about not knowing how to spend the money you've got. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, the big the big story around Aston Martin recently over the last week was um, is Otmar Schaffnauer on his way out. Is he is mm-hmm. he going to Alpine? And ver- various parts of the press have already decided that Martin Whitmarsh is taking over from him.
1: And. It, just, it yeah. just seems odd. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think Whitmarsh is in the position to take over Zafnauer's job in terms of what Whitmarsh should be focusing on, which is the Aston Martin group, uh, which I think he's much better suited to than maybe uh, judging him from his time at McLaren, which is what we've already kind of got to go on. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily an ideal team principal um, or, you know, uh, sporting manager uh, for a team um yeah i've i've heard lots of rumors both the stuff that's been in the press recently and obviously whispers throughout the year that zaffanauer could be on his way out there which is strange because he's kind of the one that's been pulling all the strings to get this all happening in the first place and it would be strange that somehow he's shoved out of something that's of his own making um maybe there isn't somewhere upwards he can move into or some sideways he can move into um but it would be interesting who they, they put in there. And I, again, as much as they've been hiring some very good people, there's always that fear that they messed up the, the recipe of the secret sauce that that team have had for so many years because so many people in that team have been there for so long and have really got how to go racing worked out that you don't want to kind of put, mess up the balance of that too much by you know shifting people about. Um, so we just could kind of keep an eye on that side of things but um, yeah I think there are more hirings and firings to happen there at that team um, over the coming months There's
0: going to be a lot to keep an eye on over the winter we, we thought we were going to get a nice quiet winter break it's not going to happen is it?
1: Uh, well I knew I wasn't going to get a quiet winter uh, I know I'm not quite sure what you were expecting but uh, <laughs> yeah it's um, it, you know there's quite a melting pot going on at the moment isn't there it's, it's quite interesting in all different sort of spheres of Formula 1, not just, you know, obviously my interest on the technical side, but the, the sporting, political, uh, you know, all the um, sponsorship and all the deals and the management. There's, there's, there's lots kind of bubbling around.
0: Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. Yes. Man- management, deals, sponsorship and money. Ferrari next. <laughs> <laughs> while, we're, while we're on the politics. Um <clears throat> Sounds for Carlos, eight for um, eight for Charles. Um, another victim of uh, a broken chassis on the kerbs, I do believe.
1: Yes, that, that came as a, a, a bit of a surprise and really did kind of knock back at Leclerc's weekend a little bit. You know, his qualifying wasn't great. His race uh, maybe wasn't quite what we would expect of Ferrari based on recent performance. Um Yeah, a difficult weekend for them all in all, really. Um, They were looking to have so much a stronger weekend than the result that they eventually got, uh, which for McLaren probably was a good thing. Um, But um, yeah, Ferrari really have come on, as I said said earlier, stronger in the second half of this year, certainly when they had that um, power unit update with the the double voltage on the uh, energy recovery system that really has kind of given them that acceleration out of slow corners uh, that really has kind of massively improved their, their pace because it's the same chassis underneath it. or well, certainly not in Charles' case, because that one got swapped out. But, uh, you know, all the aero and everything else bolted to it was the same they've had for, like the way most people, for many races now. So it's all down to the power unit. And Ferrari seem to be generally a, a fairly cohesive, well-organised team at the moment. Um, they don't seem to be making too many mistakes. I mean, I think we we're maybe a bit more judgmental of them earlier this year. Um, but what I have noticed is that the drivers seem to be increasingly inconsistent between themselves. Um, maybe a little bit like you were sort of saying with the uh, McLaren team, you know, sometimes you'll see Charles have a, a, an incredible qualifying or an incredible race, but really the sort of the two together and really it would be uh, Carlos having, you know, a stellar weekend overall. I mean, I'm finding Charles increasingly more inconsistent than, than Carlos is, which, um, is maybe not what you would have expected going into the season. Certainly, Carlos has really settled very well into the way of uh, Ferrari working. Uh, it's really working out very well for uh, however he's tackling his season. So um, yeah, um, you wonder whether Ferrari will break out into more kind of peace and unity next year, or break down into um, you know different different groups. Facing off against each other, it's um, it's Ferrari. It's Ferrari. Looking, it could it could go it either way. Man.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, I think certainly we've seen seen the car the team operating a little bit better um, as Benotto has been maybe a little bit more hands off over these recent races as team principal, and I think that actually shows that he was spreading himself a bit too thin, being both a technical guy, the um, head of the team principal, plus all the other kind of, you know, um, boardroom level things that and media level things that the uh, boss of Ferrari needs to kind of cope with. So I think Ferrari do need a few other heads there to kind of bolster um, the team uh, on the sporting side and let Benotto do what he's clearly very good at, which is kind of getting that high-level organisation sorted, rather than him being the person on the ground doing, you know, some of the more hands-on bits of management. So, um, yeah, I think Ferrari have got some some areas to improve, but certainly, by and large, um, they are over, Yeah, if you look on balance over the year and ignore the championship finishing positions, I think they're pretty equal with with McLaren in terms of the car, their operation, the kind of momentum that they've got from the previous years, and um, makes it very hard to predict where both of them will go in 2022, because clearly both of them have got the potential to sink a huge amount of resource, despite all of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the budget caps and the uh, wind tunnel restrictions, they've got the ability to really put a lot of effort into this new, new car, um, because they need to close that gap to McLaren, I'm sorry to McLaren to Mercedes and Red Bull. I mean, that really has to be their goal. They've really got to make it a three or four way championship or four, three or four way races every weekend as their goal, because otherwise they're, you know, they're always just going to be at the front of the midfield rather than you know, being a leading team, properly fighting for wins and potentially championships. Do you
2: think there's enough uh, in the real change this year for one of the mid-grid teams to actually join Mercedes and Red Bull?
1: Uh, I don't think there is the scope if you look beyond Ferrari and McLaren. I think the only two teams realistically able to make that step. Um, I would say if you kind of look down the grid, Alpha Tauri probably unlikely. Um, Alpine maybe would be the one team that could have that potential. But I just still have my doubts in terms of. How much commitment you have at Enstone and at Veere to really make that big jump that's necessary, and I think be, that's been my criticism of the team um, for many years. And again, I don't see that. I think it's improved this year, but I don't think you know they're ready to make a, a step change. Uh, Aston Martin, I think it's maybe a little bit too early for them, and I can't see anyone further down the grid beyond that, really. So, uh, and the chances of both McLaren and Ferrari getting it right and joining the top two, you know, I think at best we could expect maybe one of them to to join it. But uh, yeah, anything could happen. Who knows? But certainly from what you can see from the form book and everything else, I think, you know, we're going to have largely a status quo carried on into next year.
2: And just like that, the 2022 hopes were dashed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But of course, you know, I mean, that's if you're looking only at the sharp end of the grid. We could end up with maybe Red Bull and Mercedes fighting each other, but we could end up having everything from McLaren Ferrari down to the horses, all in one big pack, getting, you know, that third P3, getting into Q3, at different races because they've got the better car on that track on that weekend you know it could be a season like that it's you know we've had that in recent years where the midfield has been really strong i think this year it's unusual it's been strung out a bit more into maybe three groups behind the top two um so i I think it will be a competitive year next year i just don't think we're gonna have you know eight cars vying for the win every race
0: it would it would be nice to see, but if you want that, watch IndyCar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, right, nosebleed time, Alpine. Um, Ocon in fifth, and Alonso are making his first return to the podium in seven years.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that was really was quite a performance from them this weekend. You know, they kind of got everything hooked up at the right time without getting penalties and uh avoiding the pitfalls that everyone else was falling into and just got some great results as we saw them do uh, a few times earlier this year as well obviously with that win um and podiums but i would have a good cough excuse me um yeah and again that's very much against the phone book wasn't it you know it, it LaSalle wasn't the circuit that Alpine were always going to get that podium in, um, but they did. And Alonso got that you know much uh, awaited and much anticipated <laughs> podium. And I, you know, I honestly can't believe that the time that's passed since he was last there. But um, you know, you know, this you is Alon- know, we- this is
0: Alonso's first podium since we started doing this podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting
2: for Lee to be stunned it? on that one. That is no, that's crazy. yeah,
1: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a, a good few years, but. Um, you know, you, I think you've seen from some of his race performances all year that we've been kind of waiting for that Alonso moment. And we've got it. I mean, it'd be nice if it was a win. It would have been nice if he was P1 at turn one. But, uh, yeah, we'll take P3. That's good. Um, I don't think that this is a new dawn for Alpine, though. I mean, I think their performance this year has been maybe at higher level than uh, expected. And I think, you know, the chassis worked a lot better <laughs> this year um, than uh, we you know, I've seen for the past few years. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think there has been that increased commitment. The power unit's certainly better this year as well. Uh, they're much more on a par with the rest of the mid, top of the midfield. Um, and I think if maybe if we'd had a more normal year with development and not concerns for the, 2022 regulations maybe they could have done even better this year with a bit more development in but they cut off early like many teams did uh hoping to get a bit more of a jump into next year um and it'll be int- yeah it will be truly fascinating to see how far they can push into next year um you know, I, I i continue to have my doubts like you know i'd love to be proven wrong because there will be nothing greater than seeing endstone uh, Alonso and Ocon pushing for podiums and you know even wins next year but uh you know given the competition um I you know, that's, that's a really big ask of them
2: It feels like a car of concessions doesn't it the Alpine this year I mean that the aero box and stuff like that and just the it looks like such a hulking mass of a car that the, the, the there must be things that were done to that car which we just like we we just need to do this to get this year out of the way
1: um, I mean, I think the car is very uh, counterintuitive when you come to looking at a car and try and work out what makes it look fast. Because the things that are right in your face, uh, like you know, the, the, the big engine cover, um, tend to be one of those things that you go, you point at it because it's really obvious. Mm. Obviously, that was designed and it gives them performance because it's taking away the side volume, which is far more important for getting the diffuser and the floor to work. So uh, I don't think that is, you know, in any sense, you know, one of the reasons for any um, problems this year. I think they did well to get get a far better race car out of the 2020 car, which in lots of ways was still the 2019 car, if we remember. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, to get that level of performance out of a three-year-old car, I think was still impressive, but the car does lack... In, in aero it lacks a little bit in the power unit as well and you know it's a you know it's a bit like for them to catch up to ferrari and mclaren It's a little bit like ferrari and mclaren catching up to uh, mercedes and red bull you know, they need, need lots of little bits and lots of little areas which requires a huge amount of effort uh, and it's a lot to achieve over a winter um it's possible um but we'll just have to just have to see. You know, again, it's another one of those teams. I you know, with the cliche we throw out is, you know, they, they have the potential to make the biggest jump next year um, of, of anybody. Um, uh, you know, I do believe that. So, you know, let's see, so let's see what, what testing brings in, in Barcelona in February.
0: Is the lack of any customer engine teams um, causing them any struggles? Because they are, they are the only engine supplier that's just supplying themselves.
1: I think where we stand now with the way that you can develop the engine, I don't think so. Um, you know, they've got two very good drivers. They've got a very good uh, technical team on board. There's, you know, there's not a lot that they can do on track and there's not, not a lot of more feedback that can come from the track and data that can come back from the track that would feed into the development program over at Viri in, in France um, from four cars then from two, I think at this stage. Um, you know, I think it really is simply, you know, budget, um, being thrown at the engine development program, um, which is you know, perennially been, you know, the, uh, the the weak point in compared to the Mercedes, the Ferrari you know, and the, especially the Honda recently, um, they just haven't had that level of performance in some respects. Having a customer team could even eat away at the resources because, you know, you'll only get 16 million pounds in through the door from a engine supply to a, a second team, but you know the the actual cost to deliver those engines and the development through the year and the support through the year, it way outstrips 16 million dollars or pounds, whatever it is. So uh, it probably may actually be slightly better for them to be a single team on balance, um, and we're about to go into a long engine freeze. So again, yeah, what, edge do, what odds does it make that they're not supplying an extra team? Um, they can just really focus on, you know, what, what Fernando wants from his engine. I
0: never, never thought of it. Uh, never thought of it that way. I was, I was purely um, purely yeah. things. You know, are they are they losing out on uh, on data and track time? But yeah, when 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 you put it that way, that, that you know, that makes perfect
1: sense. Well, um, yeah, you got to remember these, these engines are eight years old now. You know, there's the the, the, the development curve while it's still going up has has flattened off significantly. So, you know, I'm sure they would know what they could do to the engine if they really had the money and uh, resources to do it. So,
0: yeah, I guess uh, right. So that leaves um, the top two teams, which we usually do all at once, and as it's a complete arms race between the pair of them. Um, probably worth looking at the whole, the whole thing. Um, Red Bull came out of this slightly better with uh, two cars finishing, fourth and second. Mm. Um, Hamilton, of course, taking the win and Bottas was the first DNF. Did they actually say what happened to his car? Because it was just one minute he's got a puncture and then he's retiring.
1: No, I, I listened to their, again, their fantastic YouTube debriefs, which they've done all this year, which I, you know, I, I can be critical of, of both these teams, but I can be critical of Mercedes sometimes. But their, their, their social media, and particularly these YouTube debriefs, they've been doing fantastic and really show the rest of the things up. Um, but this, this week, they didn't say what was wrong with um, Bottas's engine. He was carrying a problem throughout the race, um, uh, long before the tyre the, the problem. Um, and I think basically it just came to the stage where they were that far back. It's like, let's just pull the car in, save the mileage and um, see what we could do for the next race. Um, and uh, it's a bit of a shame, really, because, you know, I think, you again, you had this kind of the, the wingman battle building up quite nicely um, through the Grand Prix, just as maybe we're hoping for a, a title battle for the, uh, the A driver. But, um, you know, Max never really kind of took the fight to Lewis through the race once he kind of got into that P2 position um, you know perhaps handicapped slightly by um, that rear wing that he had to run but um, yeah I mean I think everyone really kind of got the maximum results out of the cars that they could given the uh, cars that would help to them through the, uh, the weekend and from the uh, stewards office
0: <laughs> yeah I mean there's the stewards have been playing a large part in um, the overall sort of narrative of the Grand Prix weekends recently, mm. and you know we're getting stories of lack of consistency, and when is a penalty not a penalty? And then of course we had the we had the review of the Max on board footage from Turn Four in Brazil, and no further action taken on that. And mm. was it the same as what happened with um, Perez and Norris in Austria?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of inconsistency, uh, particularly with driving standards, because I think this is still a relatively new way of looking at racing, isn't it? You know, I know it, it, it happens in other categories. Certainly, anyone who watches the uh, British Touring Car Championship uh, knows that they've tried to clean it up in, in that area. It's difficult, and it's difficult because... You know, the the stewards and um, race direction can't look at every incident and make a ruling on it because there just simply isn't the time. Um, And it's tricky to do it post-race. So they can only kind of look at the headline ones. And it is inconsistent because you've got, you know, different people doing it with different pressures at different times. Um, I think the call for some more permanent stewards slash referees, umpires, what you want to call them, uh, would be a good thing. I don't know about the practicalities. Um, you know, and equally, I'm not a driver. So when I was looking at the onboard footage that came out last week of Max's uh, steering wheel, I know lots of people jump to different conclusions as to what to read into that steering wheel position, depending on whether you are a Max fan, a Lewis fan, um, just a general fan, or an X-Racing driver, or an X-Racing driver with an axe to grind um so everyone had different opinions so mm, yeah I think it may be more consistent but I don't think that would necessarily um be better if we had permanent stewards um they may be more consistent but maybe their point of view is counter to what some people would want their point of view to be so it could be difficult and I certainly wouldn't put my hand up for that job um you know it's difficult enough even with you know technical regulations what is and isn't permissible. So a flexing rear wing, we changed the regulations. Flexing front wing, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, you know, where, where do the rules choose to get applied? So it's, it's tricky and um, it must be very difficult for Michael Massey who hasn't had the time to get his feet under the table and establish his reputation uh, in the way that Charlie Whiting did. And I know Charlie Whiting had his detractors, but I think everyone was fairly happy that Charlie was relatively even-handed. In, in tackling this stuff um, uh, on balance over the years. So it's, you know, it's really difficult. And, um, you know, uh, the championship, I don't know, I don't think it will be decided from stewards decisions, um, uh, nor will it be decided from some of the uh, incidents on track either. Um, but uh, I, I think in a year of all years, I think what we've had is the 2 top drivers have been doing absolutely the best job. The cars are absolutely neck and neck with each other and the teams behind them, you know, in terms of the design, the race strategy, uh, you know, especially tyre strategy with these teams. have uh, I been mean, they've been so equal all through the year. Um, you know, uh, I think we could all go back at the end of the season and pick all, oh, you know, that is the moment that the championship was decided because the Pirelli blew out or the wing flexed. Or you got uh, qualifying disqualification, or anything else, or you got wiped out Bottas at Turn One. You know, it, it, there's lots of little moments this year, but I don't think there was actually anything pivotal and anything necessarily separating either of these two drivers. Go on, Lee.
2: <laughs> Just out of interest, what was your opinion of the uh, Max <laughs> move?
1: Oh God, here we go. Um, <laughs> I I put I would put that down to just hard and fast race driving and let them race. Um, Hamilton threw it down the outside. Uh, Max threw it up the inside, couldn't break enough. Lewis couldn't break enough. They were both way past their braking markers. Um, They didn't touch. They both went off and came back the next lap. Um, You know, if that's not a definition of a racing incident, I don't know what is, but I think at the moment there seems to be a call in any incident that we look at is that there's got to be a right and a wrong. Mm. and it's you know black and white someone you know if you look at each of these incidents if you look at silverstone incident the monza incident um it's not 100 percent someone's fault it's much more 60 40 55 uh, was 45 is the other half wasn't it yes yeah. um it, it's much more like that and it's much harder to, to regulate in that respect because if you give one person a penalty then that's you know almost disproportionate for the other person so i'm 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 much more of the opinion trying to let these people race um and i don't really think we've seen anything this year that's got to the stage where it's very dirty or very dangerous um and i think i think there's a lot of what's the there's a word in football for it it's um when a player brings someone down where it doesn't, it looks like they were going for a tackle, but it was actually a foul, is it? Uh,
0: professional <laughs> Professional foul. Mm.
1: Is, is it a professional foul? Yeah. Yeah, I think there was a, a game play or something. I think it's something that we've seen a lot of that this year. You know, I'm on the inside, therefore, or I was ahead on the outside, therefore, um, and almost using that as a, you know, it wasn't me, Gov, you know, mm. that kind of shrug you give the referee if you've just, you know, broken someone's ankle because they were almost at the penalty box. Um and that's about as much as I know about football. I didn't hasten to add at this stage. Don't don't go any further into football discussion because that's <laughs> that's the limit of what I know. I was but, I was, I was yeah, actually um, I was actually going to say
0: when you were talking about the stewards, there is a there is a saying in football: if you don't notice the referee, he's had a good
1: game. Um. <laughs> yes. Yes. That. that that's Possibly true, but equally, when I was in football, is maybe the referee should be seen a lot more. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, um, but that's that's going off at a complete tangent that I'm I'm way too qualified to talk about. But yeah, (laughs) I mean, I think I think it is consistent. That's that. I think that's the problem. Um, But do we want consistency if it's at the cost of some of our uh, personal opinions on what is right and wrong? Um, I think it's just it will just look slightly different. But um, me, I let them race a lot more than 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 perhaps uh, people make all this noise about.
0: I mean, there's there's, I mean, there's three sides to every argument, you know. There's the right side, the wrong side, and the truth.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true enough. Um, and things are never black and white, you know. Everything is a um, you know a, a beigey shade you know, somewhere in between the two of them, isn't it?
0: Like a, like an Nico Rosberg suit.
1: Exactly. Maybe he could be the driver's steward.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fair, balanced, even. it uh, never works. Because I mean, the, the, great,
1: the great thing with Nico is we know that all of the fans all across social media have all got the same balance view of him. So yeah.
2: there you go. I am a fan of Nico Rosberg Media Edition. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So moving on to the um, moving on to the Red Bull and Mercedes cars, um, I think Red- mm. I think we can. We, I, are we safe in saying that Red Bull have made the most
1: leaps forward this year? Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, I think it's. Um, I think Mercedes have stepped back a bit in relative performance because of the uh, the regulation changes, but equally because of the pressures of the budget cap looking for to next year and knowing where they were standing this time last year, equally Red Bull and Honda. It's important to say made a step forwards this year and they've kind of met in the middle and then kind of bounced against each other, um, over these past 20 odd races. Um, and that's been fascinating because you couldn't really get more different cars. Uh, one is, a longer wheelbase, lower rake, albeit they are running a, a bit more rake this year. One of them is a slightly shorter wheelbase with a lot of rake. Um, one power unit is very smooth and is now playing with um, a different inlet system. And that's nothing to do with the the, the red accusations. it's just the shape of the plenums. Uh, and then you've got Honda, which is working really hard with the engine mapping at part throttle, which makes it sound like a bag of nails um and have really tried to miniaturize the engine within the regulations everything about both of those cars um is completely different the way that each of the teams go about their races um uh, in terms of race engineers and in terms of you know uh, race and tire strategy how the team principles operate um and you know the, the ethos at the fact every yeah you know, they are polar opposites as much as you could possibly get in two groups of people that effectively you know have the same budget to get to the same end position at the end of the season. And they're almost completely inseparable. And it's it, it, it's unbelievable that they can qualify within, you know, hundreds of each other race. And by the end of the race, they're within a few meters of each other. Um, I think, where were we? Was it Austin, where I think effectively they, they finished the race the same time distance apart as they did when they were on the grid as they passed the line on that one. It's like, how close can you make these two things go? And you just know that everyone, uh, or certainly you know, a chunk of people have a polarized opinion that, Oh, Lewis has had the best car all year, or oh, Max has had the best car all year or the best engine or you know, what have you, or the rules changed or the tires changed or the circuits changed to suit one person or another. Um, but it's just completely inseparable. And as we were saying earlier, it's got to the stage now where, you know, is it a high-speed track? Should that suit one car or another? Is it a twisty track? Which car should that suit now? Is it hot track? Is it the softer range of the Pirellis or the harder range? All of that seems to go out the window. And each team seems to be tackling each of these races from a completely fresh set of perspectives. So it's impossible to predict. Um, and we're now so tight that we could get to out of equal on points, which is absurd. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And both teams have thrown a lot at the cars this year as well. I think Red Bull threw a lot more at the car in the early to mid-season. I think Mercedes have rather topped and tailed, and I think they've been quite coy about this as well. They did put a lot of effort in early in the year to try and recoup the losses they had over the winter. I think the mid-season tyre change really helped them as well. And they've thrown an absolute enormous amount of effort, which doesn't come under the budget cap, at that power unit this year. If you look at, you know, Bottas's engine changes, the super engine that we saw in uh, in uh, Brazil, was it? Was that right? I'm trying to remember the races oh, yes, now. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm getting confused. Yeah, you know, you had to kind of what what Honda would have called a Suzuka spec engine kind of turned up for um, Mercedes in America, uh, and will potentially come back next weekend as well. Um, they've really had a very different approach to development through the year, uh, in different ways. And, uh, you know, I think Mercedes had done a lot more with their race engineering, a lot more with the power unit. I think Red Bull did a lot more with the chassis and, um, we're building up to that big engine update, which was kind of mid sort of late latter part of the mid season, wasn't it? And now they're starting to, you know, lack a little something extra to give to the car although i have heard now rumors albeit from italy which is a very unreliable place to get rumors for um a a british japanese engine um that there's going to be some updates to the honda engine this weekend How that's possible i'm not entirely clear without grid penalties but you know rumors are rumors so we'll we'll park them and talk about them later (laughs) um yeah you know it's you can't you really just cannot take take this apart and um you know, I would say that we've had the most equal season that maybe I think I can never really remember. You know, because I think what you normally would have is a, you know, half a season of dominance, then something would change and the another team would have a half season of dominance. But this, you know, if you look at the points uh, between the two drivers, it really has been just neck and neck throughout, and um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable from a, a fan's perspective. Unless you're a fan of one of the other drivers, of
0: course. <laughs> <laughs> then you spend all I, your time ta- you, then you spend all your time arguing with the fans of the other drivers on social media.
1: Yeah, I, I really it, it, hope you know, it, it, it's strange, isn't it? I'm sorry, I let you carry
2: no, on. I, I was just going to say, I really hope it goes to the last race because the championship deserves it to go to the last race.
1: Um, I, I hope it does as well, and my reasoning is slightly different. If I think, I mean, I'm not quite sure if Lewis can decide it this weekend. I don't think he can. No, he can't. Um, But can he not? Okay. Um, But if it was won this weekend, I think either way. Let's say, for example, uh, theoretically, just to be fair to both sides of the fan base, if either driver could win it this weekend in Saudi, I think the kind of the the smug faces from one half of (laughs) the sport. in abu dhabi would be almost unbearable um (laughs) um, so yeah and at least you know by the time they turn the lights out in abu dhabi most of us can kind of switch off for a couple of weeks um until we come back in the new year and kind of just avoid all of the fanboys going at each other um on either side and it was funny because you know we've had these um various technical infringements being argued between the teams over the past few races and I, i i try and i hope i certainly achieve and being Even handed and fair between being judgmental between what's right or wrong between the teams, then just say it how it is. But if I say something about one team's car, you'll get the fanboys from the other team going, Well, yeah, but that's cheating, or No, but they did this. And it's like, No, no, I'm just telling you how it is. I'm not saying if it's right or wrong. um, (laughs) But (laughs) people just love to dive in on the argument when there's not even an argument being made, is going, Yeah, they're cheating people a bit, but yeah but they're cheating and he's a dirty driver no he's a it's just incredible how fired up people get on this um and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's quite tiring isn't it but uh i'm glad i'm glad i don't opt to choose at one side or another because it must be such hard work for them
2: well, after brazil uh, when we were recording the podcast i noticed on twitter that people were already calling me a lewis hamilton fanboy The podcast hadn't even gone out, wasn't even finished (laughs) recording, and I was already being called a fanboy.
0: Ah, right, my my, my social media campaign to get people to do that worked.
1: Yes! (laughs) (laughs) I think think the main thing is if you get called a fanboy from each of the opposing factions, you know you're doing it right. Yeah, I still haven't got over James Butler (laughs) even... Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I still get people say I'm pro-Hamilton, anti-Hamilton, pro-Rosberg still, pro-Verstappen. I get described as a Tifosi sometimes. And it's like, well, if you're all saying either plus or minus on each of them, I must be playing it. You yeah, must be down the line. Surely. <laughs> but pe- people love just to think because you have an, a, an opinion that it means you can only take one side of an argument. And I think, you know, everything this year has been far more nuanced between 100% blame from one and 0% on the other. It's all been much more um, muddled in the middle.
0: Mm. And it has de- it's definitely been a mess in some cases.
1: <laughs> mm. Yes.
0: Oh, that is, um, that is brilliant. Just, just one thing that we haven't done on our normal race review. Uh, rock stars and wankers from the weekend. Hard one to call. Okay. Al- Alonso Rockstar, definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is the only person you can call a rock star from last weekend, really. <laughs> um, you know, um, in, in the proper vintage Hall of Fame, Rolling Stones, uh, Keith Richards, there's the old guys making it to the podium. Um yeah Alonso is the Keith Richards of formula one uh, I've said it there you go <laughs> and i'm um, um, I'm now an alonso fanboy uh, <laughs> same, yeah. same haircut actually mm, I'm also- <laughs> <laughs> i know. not i know keith Richards can you describe that as an haircut it's, uh, yeah, certainly, more, certainly a lot more gray uh <laughs> that that than alonso's same
0: aircut that Keith had in the in the late sixties anyway.
1: Yeah, okay, that's probably slight fairer, I guess. Yeah. Um and and the and the other one, I, I would like to, to, to nominate two people, um, who aren't drivers. Um, oddly. And if you can guess who they are before I name them, you am sure you could win a prize. Uh, <laughs> uh, which would be uh Christian and Toto. Um <laughs> who frankly are really getting on my nerves now. And I just have no time at all for uh, either their opinions or the ridiculous opinions that the mainstream motorsport media insist on dragging out of them. Uh, You know, every question that they're given is a clickbait question and it will be dragged out to say, Christian said this or Toto said that. Um, uh, it, I'm just completely over that whole thing now. So yeah, they 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 win the other award this weekend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would also like to throw in whichever strategist decided to ignore all Pirelli's advice and go for uh, one stoppers.
1: Absolutely, I, I'd go with that one as well. Yes, it's like when Pirelli say, "Don't do not I don't run long of these tires. You you'll never make a one stopper. In fact, a two stoppers quicker." Don't listen
0: to that advice. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think I should probably get the um, inaugural hold my beer award. <laughs> 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 um, we've got a G- yes. got a Jovanotti participation for this week. I'm I'm tempted to say Bottas because he was never sort of really on it due to a variety of reasons. Fail, yeah, failing that, ju- pretty- failing that, we just go default and give it to Jovanotti again.
1: I'm just having a little think through. Yeah, I think Bottas of all of them probably is the person that didn't really rock up to the weekend. Maybe Vettel slightly. It was a weekend you'd have thought maybe he'd have done a little bit better. Um, but I think maybe Lance just over overperformed slightly. But yeah, no, let's go with it. Yeah, definitely Bottas um, wingman once more, and I'd be interested to see how he copes next year. Um, I don't know if we kind of picked up on that in the Alpha Alpha discussion. Um whether he you know he does kind of shine in that position or um kind of shrinks back um' it'd be a tough it'd be a tough year for him next year definitely
2: mm. there seems to be for me anyway sort of very little to suggest that there's he's going to do much more than what he's doing for mercedes but on but lower down the grid.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I think Bottas came in, 2013, 2014, where his kind of big two seasons, and particularly 14 when he had that really good Williams, and he was everyone was claiming him to be then a potential champion. And I, I do wonder, actually, just thinking out loud now, if those subsequent years at Williams kind of blunted his abilities, mm-hmm. um, and suddenly falling into Mercedes, it just you know all of the cars didn't stack up right for him. And again, you know, I mean, having a one year. He always felt a little bit under pressure at Mercedes. You know, he said the one-year contracts never really worked for him mentally. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, he, he always showed potential. And I don't think we ever really saw that actually come out of him. Good driver, but not, you know, exceptional.
2: I think he's one of those drivers that I, I always say on, uh, on the podcast that certain people, Formula One has to come to them. You know, with these new rules, is it he might just mm. lock in and his style clicks with that type of uh, car. You know, it's in the mm. same way as um, Vettel clicked well with that yeah, really no, stable rear rear end.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, um, again, he, his podcast was really interesting. He was talking about what we would do after Formula 1. He said we might go to rallying. I, I could see him doing endurance racing and really being the right kind of person for, you know, uh, doing Le Mans. Uh, potentially, things maybe like the Dakar or Extreme. Um mm. Maybe that is maybe that is his bag, rather than the extremes of, um, of Formula One.
2: It must be tough, you know, to co- to come into Mercedes and get given a car where you know you can win in it, mm. but then get met with the obstacle that is having to get past Lewis Hamilton to do it.
1: Mm. No, it, 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 by no means should be underestimate uh, on a one-year contract to be asked to go and do that. Um, and coming into a team that is so clearly from the very top wrapped around Lewis as the key thing. Um, you, know, it, it was, it's, you know, he was always on a potential loser there, wasn't he? Uh, mm-hmm. What was the best that he could do, really? If he outshone at Hamilton, um, that would have been an incredible achievement. Um, for, for for so many reasons.
0: The thing is, I think he was onto a loser because if if um, if Bottas sort had of come in and started winning and even taking a couple of championships, oh, it's the car. What happened was he came in, got second. He's just not up to Hamilton's standard. Mm. You know, it it was yep. it was it was a bit of complete no win for him.
1: And it was because he was on a one year contract. If he was suddenly doing really well, then there would be the needle with. Him and Lewis, like Lewis had with Nico, and that will become really tricky when it came to contract time with Toto. So yeah, you know there was there were so many things stacked against him in this role, um, and you know he's, he's he's been at Mercedes for a good few years now, and it's it's going to be tough for him going um, down to I mean, admittedly it, it's down we have to say that, don't we, to to Alfa Romeo Salva. Um, and it'd be a real test of him as a, you know as a as a as a mature man, as as an adult, um to see how, whether he blossoms or whether he's a journeyman or um whether he actually does realise that I <laughs> just oh, don't want to be doing this. Mm. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting the conversations that we have around that next year.
0: That'll be um, um, be a good one to say. You got me looking forward to next season already. I was looking forward to the winter break first. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, there, there's hardly a the winter break at all, to be honest. I mean, we, we, we finish with two weeks till Christmas um, and then it'll be a blur uh, for, for <laughs> those of you that drink um, or uh, have families that you run around um, while not drinking over Christmas. It would be my situation. Um, and then we'll be into, you know, previews and predictions for the, the, the year, then seeing the new cars and then testing and then straight into what's going to be a pretty horrific year in terms of workload for everybody in the sport, you know, the drivers, the people at the teams, both at the track and at the factories, the people like us, the media and the PR, um, and even just the fans devoting, what is it? 23 weekends plus um, a couple of testing uh, weeks, weeks as well to Formula One. It's, um, it's going to be hard work, um, but there's just going to be so much to cover. Um, I think we we, will be due a really well-deserved break this time next year. <laughs> but I think we'll have had a, <laughs> I think we'll have a cracking season <laughs> by, by by the time we come to that stage.
0: <laughs> of course, Craig, I do hope you'll come back for the uh, for the season preview next year when um, when we finally get to see what the new cars look like in each team's iteration of them.
1: Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting to see how how late the teams show their cars off and how they show them off. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of uh, media online only launches. Where we get someone's um, uh, turbo squid model of the car um, mm-hmm. dumped uh, in front of the uh, press, that bears very good relationship to the genuine car. Um, maybe even just livery launches on um, the, the cab models that we've seen already. So, um, and also the, the whispers is the first test is going to be very much tyre test, and, and and the Bahrain hot weather test will be the one where they start to get. The bits and pieces out so you know there may be bits that we don't even see to the first few races or even the first european races it's um gonna be a year of just relentless waiting for the next bit to be added to all of the cars mm. um and i'm probably run out of paper and pens
0: <laughs> am i right in thinking that the first test in barcelona that's not even going to get the tv coverage this time because the want to um f1 want to promote the uh the whole bahrain test just because that's when we'll see more of what 2022 is going to look like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there, there's um, lots of uh, reasons and counter-reasons. I think the main reason is that it is literally just going to be a shakedown for the chassis and the tyres and the brakes and everything. Um, and it will get really exciting when we get to Bahrain. So yeah, it won't be, I don't believe it will be televised live as it does. I think there'll be end of day shows and reviews and things on, um, F1 TV, get a little plug in there, watch that tech talk, um, on Sky, on all of the other broadcasters, um, obviously the press will be there. Um, you know, I think I, if even though it's not live, I think there'll be no lack of coverage on every aspect of uh, lap time, drivers, tech, everything from that test, it's going to be is going to be pretty full on. I think
0: we might even have access to F one TV in the Isle of Man by then. You never know.
1: Well, you can already get the, the the basic subscription, which does get you. I should point out live timing and access to tech talk. Not 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 <laughs> in the not in the Isle featuring of Man. Not
0: really? in the Isle of Man. It doesn't, Craig. No, it's geo-blocked over not here. The no, they don't oh. recognise it to um, to, what, to watch to watch because I've got a subscription, but I, I have to go through a UK VPN. It doesn't recognise Isle of Man IP addresses.
1: I didn't realise that. No. I thought that would have been counted, but uh, such as the, uh, the vagaries of living in um, a, a place like the Isle of Man. It's not quite like. Uh, many other places in the UK, maybe Hull and uh, the Isle of Wight, being the exceptions.
2: <laughs> naturally, naturally, I wouldn't do something like this. But um... yeah, also you
1: not you can't use yeah. the VPN. I just, I, I, I hasten to point out that doesn't work, does no, it? No, oh, no, not at all. Um, it,
2: it, it certainly doesn't found. save seventy-five pound
0: on Sky either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I
0: say use a VPN to watch it, I've got to connect to my UK-based server and watch it through there. So I'm,
1: yeah.
0: ne- I'm network- I'm networking into my UK server.
1: V- VPN being the ferry that takes you to yes, the yes. land of the If, if <laughs> yes. I
2: could watch the live races on F1 TV, I would say I enjoyed the build-up and the coverage. I would do if I watched it.
1: If you could possibly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. in the UK, which you can't. No. But
0: if you could, <laughs> <No>. yes. <laughs> um, right, we are going to skip the Who's a Total Shunt this week, mainly because um, we're down on numbers, so it would it would be unfair on the rest of us. Do you reckon Lee? Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. Um but we'll, when we do a show over christmas we'll um we'll do extra shunts. So yeah. In, instead of that, um don't worry I've got I've got a few as well. <laughs> in, including um one of the regulars on discord who sent it to me because he said there is no way that you would be able to do his name whatsoever because it's very, very Irish. Well I mean that's
2: no fun, is it? <laughs> I, I just do what I usually do for names. If I can't
0: read them, I make them up. <laughs> yep, yeah, so Sid, I'll do the shunt. <laughs> but we're gonna have a competition we're gonna have a competition instead. Um, yeah, um F1 journalist Morris Hamilton has a new book out, which I mentioned last week, a tribute to Murray Walker called Incredible, with an exclamation mark. Um, it's basically a celebration of uh, the life of Murray Walker, who um, was the voice of Formula One for many, many years. Um, it's been put together with um, tributes from. Lewis Hamilton, Damon Hill, Nigel Mansell, Sir Jackie Stewart, Craig. I was looking for you in the index, but you're not. You're not mentioned. You gonna have to... no.
1: My anecdote didn't make it in, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it goes. It goes through Murray's career right from. Um, I mean, the the first photo. Is, it actually um, has some um, symbolic meaning over here because it's a picture of Murray on his dad's motorbike um, mm. at, on the finish line at the TT. Yeah. 'Cause um he has uh, he's got a c con- he's got a connection with the uh with the T as well. His father wrote in it, I think he he wrote in it once, he commentated on it. Um so right up to um through his Formula One days. Um I, I can't I can't say enough good things about this book. I mean let's face it, the no, guy the guy was an absolute high- legend.
1: Yeah, it's, it's highly recommended. Um I I speak to Morris about it as well, um the other week. Yeah, now if you if you don't win it in this competition Put it on your Christmas list because it's um, anyone that grew up in that era or even knows about that era. It's one of those books you just have to have. Um, Such a great guy.
0: And if you don't know about the era, read it and find out because um, (laughs) then you'll know what we're talking about when we get all Grandpa Simpson and Nostalgic and it's not just old men shouting at a cloud. No, no, no. Thank you to whoever left that review on iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) So, all you have to do to win this it's an email competition Uh, you know the email address by now threelegsfourwheels at gmail.com put competition entry as the title or Murray competition as the title of the email and all I want to know is what was where and when was the first Grand Prix that Murray commentated on for the BBC dead easy so just tell us the Grand Prix and the year and um, we will get all the correct answers and draw one out the hat. Maybe, maybe two if I can uh, if I can wangle an extra copy. Um, if you're listening, publicity department at Penguin Random House, and um, we will uh, we will get those off to you, so you'll get them in time for Christmas. And believe me, it's a it's a prize worth having. I think a few people that I know may be getting copies as uh, copies of that secret Santa this year. If I get if I get dragged into <laughs> secret Santaing at work, um. <laughs> I think that's that's about it, really, for this week, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think we've exhausted it. Yeah, we just have to look forward to the next race now.
0: Yeah, we'll 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 have a preview coming up for um, the inaugural Saudi Arabian Grand Prix around the uh, streets of Jeddah if they finish if they finish building the circuit.
2: I'm sure. I'm sure. I'll be
0: ready. <laughs> yeah, they're good, they're good at th- good at throwing things up quickly for um, for stuff like that. It may look like a Formula E circuit or Valencia, but they'll still be racing of some description. Um, so we'll be back.
1: We'll, look
0: forward to that. we'll be back next week to look forward to that. We've got um, got virtual Statman coming on in a couple of weeks' time as well. So uh, we're keeping keeping going till the end of the season. In the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, we are at Three Legs Four Wheels on uh, on the socials. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, individually on Twitter, we are... I'm at a total shunt. I am Pablo100. And I am at Scarbstech. And if you want to get hold of Chris or Sian, they are at Sean Cowper and at Flood21. Um, don't forget to leave your predictions for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. That's, uh, that's open on the website. And, oh, I forgot, I forgot to do the Formula Lee announcement, which is back, and we're running it through Discord. Get a link on the site. And I think this week we are going to do. Um, actually, Craig, pick a, pick a circuit. Any circuit. Any circuit? Any, any, um, any current circuit. This sounds like uh, a really bad I'm magic picking, trick.
1: It does. <laughs> Imla.
0: Right, which is in the game. And, Lee, you can choose the car. Um, A Haas. You're you're evil. Right, okay, so it's Imola in a Haas, and you have until the i want to say 6th of december yep 6th of december 7 o'clock uk time get your answers in you can either get answers get your um get your times in you can either email them to formula dash lee at three legs four com, or go on to discord and look for the formula Lee times channel and you'll be able to get the uh, link to discord from my website three legs four wheels.com i'm shattered now after talking that much <laughs> <laughs> thanks again Craig for joining us it's always good when you're on we get, uh, we get so much insight into the technical sides of things and um, hopefully you'll be able to join us again when we know what the uh, 2022 cars look like
1: yeah it's, it's been interesting tonight I think certainly next year we're, we're going to have lots more fun in talking about this stuff thanks very much both you guys definitely is, thanks a lot right uh, we'll
0: see you next week and hopefully Sean and Chris will be back with us as well okay take care bye bye